Welcome to Trill Talk. This podcast is dedicated to topics that we think are important to the profession of medical writing. Our goal is to bring topical issues to the forefront and hopefully spark conversation in a wider domain about these issues. I'm Douglas Fiebig, Senior Partner at Trilogy Writing and Consulting, and I'm here today with our guest, Johan Thielen. Johan is an engineer by training with an extensive background in developing strategies for process excellence. Together with his wife, Anne-Marie Gertz, Johan founded Improvement at Work back in 2010 as a consulting business supporting biotech and farming pharma companies plan and execute preparation of their first CTD submission dossiers. I've been working together with Johan and Anne-Marie on various submission projects over the past 20 years. Their model for proactive planning and management of cross-functional interactions spanning the entire spectrum of deliverables in a submission dossier is certainly synergistic with how we here at Trilogy like to work as medical writers when preparing CTD summaries. Johan and I have spoken at various events over the years on strategies that can be deployed to overcome the challenges of preparing submission dossiers, and we're going to explore that topic today. Good to have you here with me today, Johan. Thanks so, for having me. You're welcome. So you and I have been supporting teams with the planning and writing of submission dossiers over the years for quite a range of organizations. These are complex, multidisciplinary projects that are always conducted under time pressure. To be honest, despite certain technical advances in terms of planning and reviewing tools, the challenges that confronted us in the early days are often still pretty much identical to the challenges we find ourselves today having to overcome today. My take is that this is due to the human factor in terms of group dynamics and organizational readiness. Johan, I know you've gathered quite extensive statistics on the time taken to prepare CTDs across the industry. Maybe this would be a good place to start our discussion by illustrating the potential for reducing the time needed to prepare these submissions. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, well, we obviously indeed uh, need to know uh, the market out there for our clients. So yes, we have been gathering the data. And if we look at the FDA approved drugs over the last five years, uh, the 2017, 2021 uh, timeframe, uh, but looking at first emissions only, because that's that's our client base. So not looking at the Pfizer's, Biogen's, J&J's of the world, but like the biotechs out there that are doing it for the first time. Then in that period, there were 77 drugs approved. Uh, for 69, we were able to find the data because not everybody actually needs to put out a press release. But so when you look at the time from press release of that pivotal data until they actually put in the submission, to the FDA, there's a, a huge range actually going from as fast as 31 calendar days to as long as 751 and the median actually being 205. So that's that six and a half month that often is quoted in the industry as actually a, a time for a submission. So, but yeah, there's there's a huge rates out there. And, and I think you put the finger on it uh, initially. It's like, it's all about the human factor. It's, it's so that. So when you take the um, the fast one, obviously within that, that's a huge span yeah, leading mm -hmm. up to two years. So from one month to two years. And obviously there are a number of factors which affect that. There may have been more, more or less complex programs. There may be um, better resource teams, less resource teams. There may be issues with the data. There may be um, interactions with the authorities mm -hmm. which, which contribute to that. But what would you say? I mean, obviously, everybody would rather have the 35-day scenario than the two-year <laughs> scenario. But yeah. what would you say you um, is is really a fundamental factor in influencing getting down to that as low as possible number of days or or weeks to get a submission put together? Well, it's it's being ready for it. Huh? Ultimately, it's uh, obviously there needs to be a drive and a reason to go fast now. Obviously, I mean, everybody wants to go fast because you want to get your drug to the patients. I mean, that's that's a given. But on the other hand, of course, there is the financial aspect of it, like going fast, preparing to go fast means investing at risk. 
So you need to be able to do that as well. I mean, some biotechs simply don't have uh, the resources to to throw at it to basically be ready. And and yeah, they just keep going, uh, hoping to last till they get the data, get positive data, and then the floodgates go open, so to speak, and they start hiring, etc. In a situation like that, obviously, you can't go fast. I mean, is the comparison between like when you're driving home and you have a flat tire, it will take quite a while before you're back on the road after having found out where the jack actually is in your car and then some. And you look at the Formula One and they change all four wheels, uh, put a couple of uh, gallons of fuel in there in less than a couple of seconds. That's so, the difference. Yeah, I mean, and obviously Formula One is a, it has a, is a very good analogy in many respects um, in this uh, situation, and maybe we'll get back to that um, shortly. But I think the key there, as you said, is also like financing, and Formula One is extremely well financed, so they've got all the mm-hmm. people, they've got all the equipment, they've got all the facilities, um, whatever that. But if we try and sort of dig down a little bit into into what would be the best type of scenario to reduce the time possible, obviously financing, but um, what's the best time to start preparing for a submission then? And what are the first activities needed for a solid start, assuming that the financing is available? Well, in an ideal situation, actually, you start planning for your submission when you're designing your trial with the end in mind. Like when you're writing up your protocols for your pivotal trials, you should be thinking about like, what's this going to do to our database log? How easy it's going to be to actually analyze all of this? Is this really what we need to make a compelling risk benefit case? Now, obviously, there goes a lot of thinking into that. uh, And at the time you write the protocol, typically you don't know everything. So, yes. So apart from that, I would say like, in an ideal situation, really kicking off like a submission effort is anywhere like uh, roughly nine months before last base, last visit or anticipated last event or something like that, because that gives you the time to actually get your team together and go through the multiple loops that you'll need in diving into all the details of all the planning that's needed without basically yeah rushing it, but being able to build up a plan together with all the teams that will have to execute it. And that's that's a key thing, I think, um, I mean, because sometimes uh, clients call us like uh, because they or prospects call us because they heard about this and says like, hey, we we can you guys can do this uh, real fast. Uh, we've got this uh, readout coming up, and we'd like you to help us. And then you ask them like, okay, and when's your anticipated readout? They say like next month. Say, yeah, well, sorry, you should have called us like a year ago. I mean. <laughs> Yeah. No, but you're laughing, but it, it's it's serious. People think like we have a magic wand or something. It's 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 not like that. It's hard work with working with all the teams, really making sure that you flush all the details out. You know how you're gonna do it. Again, the analogy of of the Formula One team. It's not by picking a couple of guys off of the street and putting them in a pit stop and say, here you go. Now you you do that uh, pit stop, and that they'll be able to do it in a couple of seconds. Of course not. It, takes time to figure out like who's going to do what, when and how, and and making sure that everybody knows exactly what their role is so that by the time the car comes in, they can actually do it. It's the same thing with the submission, especially if it's your first submission. I mean, you may have several folks on your team coming uh, from earlier experience where they've done it maybe multiple times, but they've never done it as a team and never in this situation. So whereas they might think they're talking the same language, more often than not, we find they're actually not because what they're speaking about has a different meaning in the company they came from as opposed to their colleagues. So I think that's you know, a situation we can all kind of empathize with. And I think you know, it sort of comes down, as you said, to the need for meticulous planning and execution. And just to come back to the Formula One analogy, I mean, I, I use that all the time when I'm speaking with clients about how they want to think about doing that, um, doing preparing for their submission, because we often get people come also at the last minute and they're sort of, you sort of say, okay, so when are you planning to submit? And they say, oh, well, in a couple of months. And, and that just does not work. And it's rather, I always think coming back to your formula one analogy, it's like, if you just give someone a formula one car, and then say, okay, now go and race. Yeah. And of course, Mm -hmm. all the, everything else around it is not, in place even you know the equipment may not be in place 
the people may not be in place, even if they are in place, are they trained? Are they, uh, do they know exactly what they're doing? So um, I think that's, that's um, something which I th is very, very pertinent um, as, a, as a sort of thought model as to how you want to go ahead. And I think um, just to sort of explore that in a little more detail, we, we wrote together, we, as I said, we've, we've presented on this topic. We wrote a, a paper a couple of um, mm -hmm. years ago, and, and in there we, we identified five what we called vital ingredients mm -hmm. for the rapid and effective preparation of dossiers. And, of course, we're, trying, we're being a little idealistic, but I think it's good to, to bring, put everything on the table and say, look, if you want to be um, Formula One style, uh, doing your submission dossier, then the, you need to think about all these different things and try and aspire to have as many of them um, as possible. Because, of course, every company has its own um, specificities, which may or may not be amenable to some of these things. So um, I think it'd be good if we just drill down a little bit in some of these five ingredients, because sure. it sort of leads us into various different topics. And the first one was buy-in from senior management and i know that is something which um is is particularly close to to the way you work because you go into relatively newly formed companies and you are typically talking to senior management and and trying to convince them to hire you and to convince them of your process so can you give us a little perspective of how important it is having senior management on board and living the process well it's uh, it's actually crucial. It's it's vital. I mean, without senior management uh, buy-in, it's it's never gonna fly. And and that that talks to a lot of different elements of of what you need. Obviously, we mentioned that before. There's the resourcing thing. Like un unless senior management is willing to put its money where its mouth is, you're not gonna have the resources you need. Period. It's as simple as that. Like, uh, I mean, just one example in your area. Like. If they have, like, let's say, uh, for argument's sake, one head of medical writing on board, uh, and that's it, and he or she doesn't get the budget to really hire insignificant numbers of, of uh, capacity in terms of writing, well, guess what? It's going to take forever because either that head of medical writing has to do all the writing himself, or at best he can he has a budget for one or two writers. Well, if you have two pivotal CSRs, a summary of safety, a summary of efficacy, a clinical overview, and then some, I mean, <laughs> you can only write so much in a certain day. I mean, it's gonna take forever to get that submission out. It's pure and simple. So that, that's an obvious element there. But the other part is also, they need to define what success looks like actually. Because it's it's amazing sometimes what, what you hear. I mean, as you point out, one of the first things we do when we, we get in is, is talk to senior management uh, as, as part of figuring out, like, okay, what kind of company are we dealing with? Because, I mean, we obviously have our methodology, but it's not a one-size-fits-all and just like a rubber stamp that you just keep repeating. You have to adapt to your client. And so one of the things we do is figuring out, like, what the success actually means to them. Uh, and you'd be amazed how different the uh, responses sometimes are, even at the sea level. So that's the first thing, figuring out, like, what do they actually really want, need, why? And has that been communicated clearly also? Because you also get the situations, as, as often happens, that they think they talked about it and that they really got the message across to the entire company. But then when you talk to the lower levels, it's not necessarily the case. And as always with uh, our client base who are in those early stages, there's a lot going on. Theoretically, in our situation, the ideal situation is you have a one co drug company and that's all they're doing and that's all the focus. Yes, obviously, that's for us. That's ideal because everybody's really paying attention to this because it's the only thing that's going on. Rarely that still happens. I mean, we've, we've done a couple in the beginnings, but nowadays, more often than not, they actually do have a serious pipeline and there's so much going on and they're already looking at a second indication and so on and so forth. So there you have it, resource conflicts, priority setting. Mm. And unless you really have senior management aligned there on, on what really is a priority, uh, you have big problems because then, 
I mean, you're bound to run into issues where there's so much going on in any given point in time, especially if you want to go fast, because that means doing stuff in parallel. So people will, will run into conflicts. And so presumably the definition of success is, is almost universally sort of get something done in, the sh- in a defined period of time or in a short, shortest period not, of not time. Not necessarily. That, that depends on the context. Eh? Yeah. I mean, and, and that's why it's not just like go in and go as fast as possible. First of all, quality needs to be there, but that should be a given anyhow. But still, it is an important element. But the commercial context of the company, the financial uh, bandwidth they have being another, but everything else that they have as strategy going on plays into the context. So it's not necessarily go as fast as possible or whatever. Uh, I mean, something that's fascinated me because we work, you tend to focus on those companies doing the first submission. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. um, as you said, a very focused scenario obviously we work in that constellation but we also work with the much much larger companies and my take is that senior management is it's very difficult in those large organizations to get senior management having the same level of of focus on on a particular submission which for all those reasons that you mentioned they've got other programs other conflicts and things like that but nevertheless it surprises me how um it doesn't need to be someone right at the very top, but you can have someone just with that ownership and responsibility for a, oh, yeah. for a product. Obviously, because, yeah. you know, these submission dossiers, they that's your output, your deliverable mm-hmm. for the next mm-hmm. cash generator. And um, for, for us, we, the way we see it is that the, the, the culture of the project, the way it works, for all those reasons that you mm-hmm. mentioned, it's really driven from the top. If the process isn't there, it's very difficult from, from the bottom up to influence that in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a meaningful way, because and and yeah, just to sort of take pick out one example, particularly close to us as medical writers, is the concept of timely reviews. So planning yeah. planning your workflows for the deliverables you've got for the dossier, yeah. and then getting people to buy into them, and making that the company corporate culture that those timelines, mm-hmm. no matter mm-hmm. what, have to be respected, because if you fail to keep that timeline then that has knock-on effects for absolutely that and that is one of the battles we always fight uh, early on in a project actually it's it's typical like senior management like i want to see a mature draft yeah and what they actually mean is like do all your work give it to me at the end i'll have a look at it and i'll correct your mistakes i mean they're not saying it that way but that's actually what they mean but that's a recipe for disaster because what it by default means is we will need to add an unscheduled additional review round because they're going to have comments. And simply because they are high, are high in rank, we will have to take them into account and get back to them. So I always really at the start and during the, the assessment phase, we actually go in and gauge that uh, how senior management, uh, what's their stance in this. Mm. And I, explicitly make it clear to them like i mean if you're so important and crucial to the quality of this dossier that you need to be a reviewer okay perfect fine i can get it but that means you will be involved early on because if you cannot trust your people in your department yet to do it without your supervision and that can be for all good reasons. After all, you're a startup company, you're building your capabilities. I get it. But then don't tell me that your input is coming at the end. That's ludicrous. If you are needed in this because of your expertise, we need your input at the start to guide the team and make sure that we get the input that we need. I think that's need. essential. That's absolutely essential. Yeah. I mean, what I've on the projects we've worked together on, on these early stage um, companies, that's... Mm-hmm. I've always found very good because typically the CMO at least has been empowered and mm-hmm. has, and by definition, more or less, and has then um, provided input throughout the process, more or less. In the larger organizations, that fails um, quite often. And it depends how you what you call senior management, but if you're talking about one of the big mm-hmm. multinationals, senior management is going to be several layers down yeah, from, yeah, yeah. from your head of R&D. And it always is astounding to me how often sometimes 
those people in a position of responsibility for a program actually become disempowered because their superiors will override them on things. It happens all the time. It's it's um, and it makes it very difficult um, to put the process together because you've got this element of uncertainty that can yeah. come in at any time and and surprise you. So um, I think, yeah, having I mean, I think we agree senior management, however you define senior management, it, it's absolutely vital. You have empowerment, you have the, the early um, input and the continued input throughout the process. Um, so coming to the process itself, obviously, you need a detailed plan for that, mm -hmm. which sounds absolutely obvious. And one of my favorite um, analogies is constructing a building. You would never build a, a building without an architect's plan. But it's amazing how often there is a lack of a detailed plan in the submission yeah. dossiers that we work on. And I think that's one of the things which you um, particularly infuse into those organizations that you go along with. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, one of the, the statements we often use is like, we want to come to a challenging but realistic plan. Uh, and that's also why you need to start early, because it takes a lot of loops, because you need to get all the functions aligned on how their piece of the puzzle is going to fit and make the puzzle complete in a way that actually works uh, with everything else going on and so on and so forth. So that is vital. You need to be looking at all the details prior to the readout. And then again, once you have the data, of course, so it's and it needs to all fit together like Oftentimes when we come in, there are already pieces of a plan there, like uh, usually biometric stats has their own plan with their stats vendor on when they're going to have the, the SAP uh, uh, reviewed and then the first TLFs programmed and a dry run, et cetera, et cetera, in complete isolation. And then there's at best the uh, head of medical writing who's already given some thought about like, oh, should we prepare cells or not? In complete isolation again. So at some point in time, there's going to be outputs generated, mock outputs or whatever, those TLFs, irrespective of when we might or might not be using that to actually build into the, the templates, let alone aligned with a key messages process. I mean, if we want to be making a certain claim, we should be thinking early on, like, what's actually the message? What's the risk benefit that we hope to be able to be defending? And if that's the message, what tables, figures, and listings do we need to support those? And, and it's amazing how little strategizing there is, and and just putting the pieces in a in a sense that in a, in a way together in a way that makes sense and are chronologically feasible. Yeah, yeah, where the where the messages become available. So from exactly. the deliverables there, that's sort of mm -hmm. like delivering those building blocks of your of your message yeah. there. And one thing which. Um, right from the very beginning, actually working with yourselves, which has been a, a an important component of the plan, has been the flowchart, yeah, which is a yeah. wonderful visualization mm -hmm. of all those moving parts that are involved in a, in a in a submission. But I mean, obviously, that's not the only tool, but that's something which you use pretty universally, I would say. Is that right? Yeah, for for keeping yeah, for teams sort of in the picture, yeah. That's Absolutely. We, we simply cannot do a submission without it. And it's it's actually a very visual tool. I mean, sometimes people ask, like, what software you use for that? It's And it's literally a drawing software. It's, it's concept draw, similar to visual, etc. But it, it's not automatically generated. And, and the reason for that is, is twofold. On the one hand, we really like the visual aspect of it because it shows time flowing from left to right what's going on. And just by taking a crosscut, you can see actually what's going on at any given point in time. And it's very easy to train people on how to read it. Mm -hmm. Except from the project managers, the diehards, no company that I've worked with, you find a lot of people that actually like going into a Microsoft project of a couple of hundreds or thousands of lines and figure out what, what's going on and when they need to do what. And they usually run away uh, with the flowchart. It's it's very visual. It's very easy to read. So that that is a, a crucial element in in uh, just communicating. But even for ourselves, it's just looking at it. It's very easy to say like, hey, hold on, this can't happen because we're supposed to be doing X and we don't have Y in place yet. You, you, it just jumps at you. It's the dependencies, of course. Yeah. The Microsoft Project File has dependencies, but it's not. Mm -hmm. 
it's not obvious to you there. If you see one box in one place, another box in another place, that other box moves exactly. and it overtakes the first box, then you realize yeah. you've got a problem. Yeah. And, and, and the, theoretically, Microsoft Project can do all of that, but that would mean that you really need to make sure that every single dependency is in there or, yeah. or else it won't flag it. And in the flowchart, even if we miss a connection in the sense of drawing literally a line from one box to another showing a dependency, I mean, all of us that have been in this business, we know those dependencies exist. So even if the line is not drawn, you just see it because it jumps at you. In my yeah, the other project, thing I really see it because it's two yeah. pages down. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I, I really like about the flowchart is, and it, this is something which always amazes me, is that it visualizes that that these are defined activities, defined steps. So the whole CTD process can be broken down into a whole mm -hmm. series of steps. Sounds obvious, but um, if you look at manufacturing, for example, manufacturing of tablets, for example, mm -hmm. it's a mm -hmm. whole series of defined steps, and you can't you can't overtake one. Yeah, you know, something has to happen before the next one happens, and each one of those steps. It, it's an activity that takes time. It needs an owner. It needs somebody to do it. Um, there, and and that's what I find in document preparation is often missing is that that some things are sort of done just between other things like like reviewing yeah. documents. Yeah, it's just like yeah. well, you know, I've got a full day, but but sort mm -hmm. of like in the evening I'll just review something or carry on in the morning a little bit. And you don't manufacture tablets with that approach. You have every different step has a defined space. And that mm -hmm. has to be done. And that's what I I think the flowchart and the visualization sort of brings that home much more yeah. readily than some other tools like Excel or Project or whatever that may yeah. be used. And, and that obviously is combined with another very straightforward tool that we use that, that's a simple Outlook calendar. So when we do a project like this, we actually create uh, an Outlook submission calendar with the name of the, of the compound. So... The, the flowchart helps in visualizing the plan and, and you gradually build it up until you get, like, as mentioned, a challenging but realistic plan. But then all those review rounds and those round tables to uh, discuss the, the open topics, they're scheduled from that calendar well ahead of time. So people actually see the period in their calendar. Obviously, it's not like if you have a five-day review, it's not going to block their calendar for five days. I mean, that never works. It's it's as free uh, free space, but it shows up on their calendar well up front. Uh, they know they need to carve out the time to actually do it. Those round tables are scheduled well up front because you need all those crucial reviewers to be there. So you better plan it well in advance or it's never going to happen or, or it gets pushed out or you're missing key people because they can't make it. So, uh, so the flowchart is one. That that calendar is another one. Uh, I think I think the um, the so if we come back to the sort of the detailed plan that obviously mm -hmm. at the beginning and I know this you start off with sort of like a, a, a rough plan and then it sort of kind of gets refined up until there's some sort of stability there at some point of the project yeah. where we start mm -hmm. doing the documents. But another key element is actually nurturing that plan. So the plan and I've been involved in like other projects, not with yourselves, where there's been a plan, but then there's been no one who's actually maintained it. And events have mm -hmm. kind of like overtaken <laughs> what has been detailed in the original plan. So yeah. I think having regular and structured interactions with stakeholders is an important part of the kind of work you do to to optimize. Yeah, that is key. I mean, there's no point as you sometimes indeed see having a project measure keeping a plan up to date after the fact <laughs> that, that that has zero purpose uh, and sometimes what they end up doing is just like each time adjusting the plan to the reality well it's intended to be the other way around that actually by coming to a plan that everybody bought into and we basically built together that we then stick to it. But so that only works if indeed somebody's on top of it, really making sure that it gets the attention it needs and people are made aware like, hey, don't forget you have this crucial deliverable coming up. Are you ready for it? And so on and so forth. So, and yes, there there is always so much going on that somebody needs to be paying attention to that and flagging it. 
And yep, that that's one of the advantages we have, of course. I mean, any uh, submission project like that, we typically come in with two folks and our sole focus is that submission. So yes, we're all over that plan and really keeping an eye out and making sure that people are delivering when they're supposed to be delivering and, and not just after the fact saying, oops, we missed it. Oh, yeah, well, when are, can you get it? Obviously, so I think the, the things happen and you need to adopt and, and, yeah. and change your plan as needed, but it's yeah, it's as I much as possible the, um, avoiding changes. Yeah, the and, and one important part actually at the at the very beginning of the plan is actually getting people to buy into it. I think, isn't it? It's like yep. I know you have you recommend a series of workshops that mm -hmm. that yep. that you have this structured approach in. You said like ideally nine months before database log or last patient last visit. Um, somewhere in that time frame that that you already um, kind of sensitize yep. the team to the plan yes and what what it involves and by absolutely and yeah and we typically have three of those indeed one very early on in the beginning to basically say like this is the approach we're gonna take these are the tools we're gonna use here's what exists as a plan these are the points where we still need to optimize because we're not meeting the goal or we're, where we simply don't have a plan yet, et cetera, et cetera. And then working with all the functions, we go through loop after loop after loop. And then a second workshop, kind of like four to five months before that last phase, last visit, so like, okay, here's the next phase. And, and at that point in time, it's like 50% like status updates. Where are we? All the different functions uh, really explaining to their peers like where are we what are the risks we're seeing how can you help us and the rest of it is breakout sessions where we dive into fixed pieces of the plan that either are not working yet or we, where we don't have enough detail or where there's a high risk and, and by the way in those workshops it's not just the company we invite the, the crucial CROs as well I mean because without them it's it doesn't work because yeah certainly the last couple of years more often than not a lot of the work is outsourced. So unless if you involve those crucial vendors, it's it's not going to happen either. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's it's a crucial element yeah. that you point to. It's really about <laughs> building the plan together. I mean, the the worst thing that can happen is that people perceive it as improvement that's works plan. Then I know we're not going to make it because things will happen, and. It will only be an excuse to say like, ah, oh, yeah, but I never believed we could get this aggressive timeline. Senior management forced it on us, but we never believed it. And yet yeah, those consultants came up with a plan. It's never going to work. So we need to make sure that we bring everybody along and so build it together with them. And, and for that matter, they're the ones that know. I mean, we have our experience, but we don't know everything that's on our plate or the details of this particular study or whatever. So yeah, they need to tell us like, I need X amount of time to do this task will challenge them if they come up with a timeline that we haven't seen before, like, really? But hey, I mean, we've had the opposite as well, that people came up with unrealistically short timelines, and then we challenged them just as much to say, are you really sure you can pull those off? Because I've never seen it before. I'd love to know how you do that. And more often than not, then mm -hmm. it turns out like, mm, yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. yes, it, it needs to be their plan so that they actually own it and execute on it and are able to execute it and not at the first thing that happens, say like, well, I never believed it in the first place. No, I agree. And I think the um, the other thing which the plan is very effective at doing is, is um, reacting to those changes that you mentioned. I mean, no plan stays static. And over time, there will be glitches in the whole sort of process and some deliverables will be delayed and the plan and and the general approach to planning and maintaining it and, and these regular interactions with the stakeholders and having stakeholders buying in to the plan enables you to develop mitigation strategies that actually work and I know we've very mm -hmm. often been confronted with situations where um, there has been some unfavorable um, development in, in one of the contributions to the to the whole submission and then you have to take a look at it and you can see very well mm -hmm. all the all the dependencies and try yeah. and work out where can we save a day here where can we save a day there and i know by doing that often you can mitigate entirely almost so that you don't threaten your mm -hmm. your end date yeah, the, the better prepared you are the better thought through your plan is the easier well or i should say the less difficult it is to adapt when something happens 
because you know your plan, you know the limits of your plan, but you also know like where you could still do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one caveat is like we always go in and we say like we want that challenging and realistic plan. There's no buffers in there because after all, we're here to go fast or you wouldn't need us. But as we said, we build up that plan together. And so in that first six to nine months, yes, that plan is changing on a daily basis. And sometimes it drives senior management crazy because they want to know what's the plan and they want to know the date. So it's like, well, by the time of the last workshop, roughly one month before our space last visit, we'll tell you. Because it takes the time up mm-hmm. till then to really flush out the details uh, and really nail it down. But then once we nail it down, we actually try to really stick to it. So yes, if something happens, we will adapt as needed. But the first reaction will always be, no, we stick to the plan. Because by that time, teams are so much under pressure and frankly are getting tired that the first reaction when something happens almost always is like, we need more time. Mm -hmm. And our first response always will be, no, you don't. Let's look at what happened, why it happened. And actually the why it happened Less so, we can do that afterwards. Now he's focused on what do we need to do to get back on track? How can we get back on track? And that is not by default. The answer is we need more time. We need to think and then see what happens. And sometimes, yes, is for this particular piece, we need more time. And then to your point, it's like by knowing the plan so well, you can find workarounds, mitigations, so that in the end, the end result doesn't get jeopardized. But so we really try to strive and also get that mentality in that once we align on the plan and we say we're going to execute, that's what we're going to do. And actually, we've had at least one project that I remember where we ticked every single box the way we planned it. There was not a single day that it was shifted. Doesn't happen a lot. Usually there is some changes that you need to make. Uh, But yeah, that's the going in position. Because if you have the mindset of like, yeah, well, the plan is actually kind of a guideline, but it's, uh, I mean, if we need more time, we'll need, <laughs> then it's going to be pure chaos. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, we had we, one one project which was problematic um, on a number of fronts, but actually in the early state, I think it was the second week we were on the project with the company, some, they had a, a project planner, but actually that was somebody who really just tracked what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, and when I floated the idea of why don't we have a detailed plan so we know where we're going on this submission they they basically said well i'm not so sure we really need that we never really work with plans we just provide drafts when people are ready for them and i said that won't work each one is going to slip yeah you always mm-hmm. need some sort of containment some time of time by when some so that everybody else knows when yeah. something's going to happen i think that's um for sure yeah, i think we, to some extent we, i find that actually disrespectful yeah i mean yeah. Is, is that how you treat your colleagues? Just like, yeah, I'll get it to you when I get it to you. I mean, when a contractor is supposed to be coming, doing some I don't know, some modifications to your house, if he were acting that way, would you ever hire him again or recommend him to anybody else? You don't want to be working with that person. Mm. Why the heck would you do that yourself to your own colleagues? Exactly. It doesn't make respect. sense. It doesn't make it's, sense. Yeah, it's respect in the end. But um, I think the main problem is um, often people have a problem with committing to something i mean uh, in our medical writing world we we have this as well um in terms of often the clients say well can't we work up certain sections beforehand up front which won't change later on and then we can gray them out and then everybody everything's fine we can focus on the later sections universally everybody will agree to that approach Mm -hmm. in practice it's very difficult um, to actually have people review something months before your submission date Mm -hmm. And buy into it, and when and and not kind of say, well, I'll look at it later on, and and look at it, and and all those kind of last minute activities that we're confronted with are often not because there's been last minute changes to the data or anything. It's because there's been a lack of commitment upstream. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, indeed, people not really paying attention when yeah, they should. And, and exactly. there's two elements. There's two elements to that. Huh? One is like you say, just people not paying attention. So like, yeah, I'll deal with it because like that submissions team's like still far out, and we'll get the draft and another chance. Like, 
Well, it's going to be a big elephant that you'll have to eat. You want to eat that in one afternoon or would you rather spread it out and eat pieces of it along the way? It's probably easier doing it that way. <laughs> but yeah, you need to commit early on to do certain pieces of it and then actually trust that like, yes, this is what we needed. This is good. Now let's put it to rest. There is always a tendency to go back and and, and of course, it's it's a document. Eh? You can keep words meeting. You yeah, can there's keep no, turning there's no sentences around. Exactly. That's the problem. Is that you? It's what we call yeah. reviewer-itis. If you give a document, I mean, in principle, I think two reviews is the maximum that you really need on a document if everybody's focused on it, normally speaking. Whereas we've had some clients, they wanted six rounds of review for a shell. We had that case mm. just recently. Mm. It doesn't improve over time. There. It's just, I think, no. people's insecurity and, and their unwillingness to buy in on something. I think coming to the... really top, analyze, you would see that you go back in circles. I mean, the yeah, more yeah. review cycles you have, the more likely you're to end up back at square one. Eh? Right. And, and if you retrospectively take a look and see, did the document really improve so much? With that no. from from the so, first point of view, and the second uh, that was one element, but the second element to that uh, actually is ownership. And you mentioned that so often it's like who owns the document? It's like the team, and and like oftentimes, for example, people have like, well, we have a clinical team, and and those are the clinical reviewers, so every single document will be reviewed by that team. Nah, not a good idea. Do they really have the expertise and the knowledge to? bring added value to that particular document as the first case secondly do all of them need to do it thirdly no team can own a document you really need a document owner a single one being accountable for that document it's his or her deliverable working very closely with the lead writer that's assigned to that project and that team really needs to own that document pull it forward and make sure that they get all the right contributions in there, that the right reviewers indeed do review it. But they're the ones that really need to make that document, the quality document, and that it has the content that it needs, scientifically sound and all of that good stuff. But it's not the team. No, um, I agree. And I think it's, you know, the buck has to stop somewhere with one person exactly. to, to, yeah. to pull it together. I think the other thing is, I mean, just sort of touching on the sorts of tools coming to like reviewing and document ownership. Um, obviously, one thing which has has transformed our lives are these sort of central reviewing tools, collaborative reviewing tools like Please Review. You can use SharePoint Online as perhaps not quite as elegant, but it sort of is better than nothing at least. Um, but, but one thing with Please Review, which we always try and implement is to say, okay, if you have five people from regulatory or you have five clinical scientists who need to review it, then create a sub-review, which you can do in Please Review. Everybody from that function does their review. It gets adjudicated by someone from that function. And then the outcome from that gets fed into the main review so that you, you don't end up having to resolve uh, issues within a function along the line of your main review, that they do that and everybody can do theirs and you have one functional responsible person for each of the, those functional areas. I mean, that's something sometimes difficult to implement, but I think it's at least something which we can um, we can aspire to, to simplify like exactly what people's position is on, on certain issues. Yeah, it can, it's, it can certainly help a lot in that respect. I mean, Firstly, the, the root cause should be tackled. In, uh, you see my process excellence cap happening, <laughs> coming up here, but like the root cause is they've got too many reviewers from the same function. Mm. Why? Do they really have different levels of expertise? Okay, then it could be warranted to have like five regulatory reviewers on a team because maybe one is really focused on the AMA submission and really knows the AMA guidelines thoroughly and the other one is focusing on the FDA uh, and yet another one has something, I don't know, whatever. There can be a reason, right? More often than not, there is no such thinking around that. And even if there were, they're still reviewing everything from this whatever purpose. So there's no real um, role assigned to them. And then, yes, something like that can help 
mitigate the root cause so you don't have to fight the battle of like, I only want one regulatory review or like you want everybody little, their little sister in regulatory review, fine. But get your act together and make sure that we get one consolidated set of commands back to us and that preferably are not conflicting. So yeah, you can solve that then indeed uh, via the technical route, but the root, root I think, cause isn't solved. I think you that. can, yeah, I mean, root cause, I think maybe going back to the the beginning where you said you you would kick off with a workshop mm-hmm. long before last patient last visit and it comes to the topic also of like you know training the team what are the expectations what are they meant to do and that's all part of the organization there yep. and part of that close to our hearts is just how do you review a document um mm-hmm. there's you know we always um preach that everybody should stay with their function everybody loves to find a typo it's kind of like low hanging fruit but it doesn't actually help the document it will be checked at the end anyway and often there's reasons why there may be a typo in there something's coming at the last minute we it's more important to keep a timeline and clean the document document up later rather than delay a document just to pretty it up when it may be extensively reviewed and changed anyway afterwards and, and but, frankly no submissions gonna be rejected by the agency because of a typo you exactly. really fit think? for purpose. <laughs> no, That's what I exactly. I love to preach. Fit for purpose. I think one of your sayings is like perfection is the enemy of good or something like that. Yes. It's, uh, also <laughs> something which and that's all part of that sort of like those the tools of the trade, which are which are mm-hmm. not only software tools, but like you mentioned also the calendars in Outlook, the training as well, and and giving the the teams those sort of tools that they need and and that they understand how to use them as well you know so that um, yeah. you, if you come back to the formula one car that the the mechanic with the wrench for the wheel nuts is not also worried about the settings of uh, of the um, fuel injector for example in the car or something like that you know i mean yeah. just yeah. to sort of everybody should really be sticking to their function there um well, that's not only that first of all they need to all know the tools exist and that they're not optional they're thou shalt use them <laughs> whether you're the cmo or just somebody on the review list doesn't matter these are the tools we're going to use period mm-hmm. it's not open for discussion uh it's not like i mean we, we've had situations where certain folks insisted on being sent the documents uh, via email so that they can review uh, just offline and then send it back it's like no we have this tool. Everybody's going to do it that way. You don't want to use it? Fine. You don't. Mm. You're not on the review team. I mean, it's it's not a free for all. After all, I mean, we are a company with a particular goal in mind. So, if you want to play along, yes, please. If you don't, I don't think you should be in this company. Then, I mean, I mean that's very provocative here. Comes in well, you can have it at like, several levels, but it, if, if you have a higher chance of it at senior management, let's, yes, and then one of our jobs as consultants is actually to confront them with their behavior and the effect it has on the team. Obviously, in a little bit more political style than I'm doing in this in this chat, uh, but yeah, but that's what it boils down to. It's holding up the mirror, like, hey, it's your company. If you insist, I mean, you're paying my invoices, so. <laughs> who am I to say no, but do realize that it has this effect on the team and on the plan. So if you insist on doing it, like you're adding X amount of time to the submission, actually, or this amount of stress to your people. Is is that what you want? I mean, fine by me, yeah? I mean, but. Yeah, there's always a price to pay. That's exactly. And it may be visible in terms of a delay yeah. in the submission, or it may be not so visible in terms of team stress, team burnout. Yeah. And whether that team is going to be maintained moving forward after submission, which you also need their expertise. Very exactly. Often. I mean, yeah. a lot of people think like, yeah, that was tough getting the submission in. Well, wait till the responses and the requests for information start coming in. You yeah. still need to do all of that. And But coming back to that, that earlier topic uh, with senior management, sometimes, let's say, misbehaving. One of the golden rules that Anne-Marie always uh, comes up with is, make them feel the pain Mm. because more often than not they're not aware so hence the holding up the mirror but they don't feel the pain of any last minute changes they want etc because everybody scrambles to basically do what they're asking so you need to make sure that they actually feel the pain of what they're causing and then maybe they'll start to think twice yeah i mean that's something which is obviously um 
yeah, going to be variable how that can be enforced within oh, any yeah, other, you know, the group dynamics, yeah. the the corporate culture, everything else. There, I think, just Absolutely. to sort of come in on the fifth element there that we discussed in the beginning, just to wrap up our, our chat today. Um, the fifth one was maintaining the team's focus on the plan. So, um, then I know, I know you always stress a lot about the team needing to prioritize tasks. So, number one priority is the submission. If there are other tasks as well, which are not central to the submission, then the team needs to work through how they can re reprioritize rather than saying they can't um, review mm -hmm. a document because they've got to, I don't know, attend some meeting that's maybe not central to the submission or something like that, and yeah. maybe they don't need to attend. Yeah. But, yeah. And that's where all the previous elements come together. On the one hand, you have taking the time to come up with a plan that is supported by everybody and actually they all contributed to it. So those conflicts shouldn't be there because they knew of them or should not, should have known about them when they actually bought into the plan. Secondly, the calendar management by plugging in those activities way up front, et cetera. And then thirdly, indeed, being on top of it and, and really making people aware like, hey, don't forget we have this coming up. So part of the things we do is indeed like a, a short span outlook like the next couple of weeks what's ahead of us in the in the relevant teams to basically carve out a piece of that flowchart and say like here's what's on our plate for the coming weeks like don't forget this is starting up etc etc so that it's yeah basically top of mind because especially as you get closer to the data reader and certainly after data reader, the, the stress levels are so high and people are getting so tired that sometimes you really need to tell them, now you need to do X, now you need to do Y. Because that's, yeah, they don't see the wood for the trees sometimes anymore. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, I think we covered quite a range of topics and I, I you know, for me, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, going over the, covering <laughs> these topics and and sort of, I, I think it sort of refreshes the mind of like, you know, the sorts of things you're confronted with and, and just sort of as a reminder um, what works, what doesn't work so well and, and what the strategies are to try and make sure um, things do work. So, Johan, thanks very much for uh, joining us here on, on Thriller Talk. And um, I'm very much looking forward to the next project that we work on together. <laughs> yes. To see how much of our theory can be continue to be put into practice. So yes. once again, um, very many thanks. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Triller Talk today. If you enjoyed it, please come back and listen to us again. If you have feedback on this or any of our sessions, we would love to hear it. If you have any ideas for future topics you would like us to cover, particularly something you think the community should be talking about, let us know. We would like this to be an ongoing conversation with medical writers at large. You can send us comments on our LinkedIn pages. Just a reminder that you can find all our episodes of the Triller Talk podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and at trilogywriting.com. This podcast on CTD submissions is also available at improvementatwork.com. You can also download an article we've written on today's podcast topic from our respective websites. Have a good rest of your day.